I want to begin by asking you a question this morning, and that is um, whether you've ever felt like an outsider. Um, that time you weren't picked for the team in the playground or invited to the party or not uh, given the job that you'd applied for. Maybe you feel like an outsider just now in some part of your life, like you don't quite fit, like you're looking in through a window at life, but you can't get in. Other people are living it, they're doing it, but you somehow aren't entirely welcome. Can happen in school, can happen in work, can happen in church. A lot of us feel like outsiders, or at least at some times in our lives, have felt like an outsider. Uh, We know what that's like. With God, there are no outsiders. We're going to see that in this uh, new study that we're going to do here, beginning today in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel is a Gospel written by an outsider, and he shows us how Jesus Christ, God's Son among us, welcomes everyone, how he treats the outsiders of his day. So how did he treat women, outsiders in that culture, people who weren't given full uh, dignity along with men? How did he treat peasants? We're going to meet some of those quite soon, the, the shepherds on the hillsides. What about foreigners, people like Samaritans? What about the poor? If you ever feel like an outsider or are feeling like one today, then reading Luke's gospel could be a a great, hopeful moment for you. Because any one of us who feels on the outside can find themselves welcomed in, in Jesus Christ. Before we dive into Luke's book, um, we're going to take a moment to think about who Luke is. Uh, You'll probably gather this or I guess anybody who's ever studied literature would know that it's always worth looking at who an author is to try and understand the the kinds of things that they end up writing. You can't really separate an author from the ideas that they they generate. And and we're going to say, well, what about Luke then? What do we need to know about Luke to help us understand the, the message that he brings us? So this first question, who is Luke? Luke's the only writer in the whole of the Bible, who isn't a Jew. I hadn't really thought about that very much until I'd started to prepare for this. So the other writers, all of them wrote uh, from the perspective of being one of God's people, an ethnic member of Israel. But Luke isn't. So we might expect that that'll change a little bit the perspective that he brings to things. Because he's an outsider himself, he understands what it's like to be on the outside of things. And he's grateful and he's full of joy that he has been brought in. So Luke is a Gentile writing for Gentiles. I don't think there's any limit to the the readership that Luke wants for his gospel. If he was a a modern-day writer, he wouldn't be looking for some sort of niche publisher. He'd be going straight to Kindle. He'd be wanting to get a million YouTube hits uh, in all the continents of the world. 
He wanted his message to go to all people, this story of Jesus that he's going to write, for all men and women, young people on every continent. I was reading a, one of the commentaries where they described Luke as a universalist. That means he's clear that his message is for the whole world. Now, whenever we say he's a universalist, we don't mean by that that he believes that every single person is going to be saved. That's not Luke's message, and it's not the message of the Bible. Luke's message is this. There's no kind of person the gospel can't reach. No boundary that it can't cross. So Luke's not saying that everyone will be saved, but that everyone can be saved. There's, there's no limit. And it's probably his own experience as a Gentile coming from the outside into the, the family of God that has him stressing this part of the message, this inclusivity of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to pause there for a second because I think that's, that's just amazing news for us to take on board. You see, there'd be some, some of us here today who didn't grow up in Christian families. We'll know that churches like this are quite often filled with families who've always been in churches like this, where the parents pass it down to the children and to the grandchildren. But we're, we're not like that. We're outsiders. We, we wonder if we'll ever feel really at home in this place with so many insiders. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. Nobody is an outsider. Wherever you come from today, whatever your family background, whatever your length of time in and around Christian faith, you can be right on the inside in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a young person here today in our congregation and you still feel like an outsider. And what I mean by that is Christian faith feels like something that has been done for you and even done to you. So your mom and dad, your youth leaders, your Sunday club, Bible class leaders, they are the ones who, who hold the thing, who offer it to you. It's their thing, and you're, you're just trying to work out what to do with it all. They seem to be into it. You're not yet sure. If you still feel like an outsider to the story of what God's doing in Jesus, let me tell you, there's a, a lovely invitation ringing out to you today. Whenever Jesus first chose his disciples, he didn't wait till they were in their 20s or 30s or till they were middle-aged men. Jesus' disciples were probably teenagers. And it was these guys that he engaged as he walked along the beaches, engaged them in the villages around Galilee where they lived, and he said to them, come, follow me. You don't have to wait till you're older to begin to follow Jesus Christ. Younger, older, anywhere in between, there are no outsiders in this family 
that God is creating in Jesus Christ. He welcomes us all in. So because Luke's a Gentile, he's dead set on offering the gospel of Jesus to the whole world. Everyone uh, needs to come in. But there's a second aspect of Luke's personality, quickly, that I want to think about that influences his message. Luke's a doctor. Dr. Luke. So his business is to heal people. And if we were to read Luke's gospel in uh, the original Greek, we'd find a word cropping up time and time again. Uh, the, the word is the word sozo. I think it's becoming one of my favorite Greek words. It, it sounds, I don't know, sounds like a sort of a, a nice dish, something to eat or something. Sozo. The interesting thing about sozo is you can translate it in one of two ways. It means either to heal or to save. So we, we have two different, you know, English words. We have one about healing, one about saving. But in the Greek, they only have one word for both of those ideas. Now, we might say, well, goodness, we're far better off because we, we know that those are two quite different things, to heal a person and to save them. So it's good to be able to differentiate, to distinguish them. We might say that. Or we might say these Greeks were onto something. That for a person to be healed and made well and for a person to be saved, aren't so different after all. That for that idea of a person being healed, saved, wow, what if that was all the same thing? So looks very into this idea of saving and healing. He uses that far more often, that idea, far more often than any of the other gospel writers. He's been trained as a doctor, so all the physical healings of Jesus are important to him, and we'll encounter loads of those as we go on. But he wants to see people fully saved, fully healed, made into everything God made them to be. A lot of you weren't, weren't able to make it to the service we had here a couple of weeks ago, our broadcast service, and I used a, a line as I was uh, sharing that morning, uh, just a, a line that I love from the Titanic movie, where old Rose, the, the old woman at the end of the movie, who reminisces uh, and tells the story, she, she reminisces, thinks back to young Jack, the guy that she'd fallen in love with, the guy who'd saved her out of the icy water, and she says this about him. He saved me in all the ways that a person can be saved. That's Jesus Christ. And I've seen it in this community. What do I mean by that? I've seen people, there are a lot of people here in this community who will say, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. But I've seen huge changes in people's life as the full salvation of Jesus has worked out in them. I've seen alcoholics, people who struggled with alcohol in our community, saying, he's turned my life around. I've seen a grown man talk about the anger and the aggressive personality that he's had most of his life and talking about how that's changing. 
I've seen divorcees whose hearts were broken, who've lived through the, the worst that life can throw up, learning to, learning to love and to trust again, to be healed. I've seen teenagers struggling to feel at home in their own skin, starting to, to demonstrate that in their actions, just how uneasy they were. I've seen them start to thrive as they discover their true identity in Jesus Christ. He can save us not just from sin and death and hell, but he can save us from the mess that we're in today. And I've seen him do it. And I'm looking for more. So look, this Gentile doctor, he shows us that Jesus can save all the people and that he can save them in all the ways that they need to be saved. If, if this gospel that we're going to study together were to have a title, um, like a, a modern book, then I think this title that we had on our opening slide isn't a bad one. The Savior, the one who saves and heals for the whole world. So we're going to be studying together about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's have a go at singing that song that Billy uh, talked to us about. Um, it's a brilliant uh, old Advent hymn. Um, I think you'll enjoy singing it without, without the instruments. Let's uh, stand and sing together. Rule in all our hearts 
patient merit, raise us to your glorious throne. Please take a seat. You didn't know you could do that, did you? I think we should make a Christmas album. Like King's College, Cambridge. Well, maybe, maybe next year we'll keep working on it. Very quickly, for a few minutes, we're going to actually start now to look at this gospel that looks written. Very little detail. Don't have time for that this morning. But I do want to point out a couple of things. Notice how looks uh, how the NIV splits up that passage we read this morning. There's a short introduction, and then the second chunk is the first of four incidents that we get before we get to the birth of Jesus. The introduction tells us about Luke's agenda, what he's trying to do, and the incident introduces us to Zachariah and Elizabeth, gets the story in motion. What's Luke's agenda? Why is he writing? Uh, we're not great at asking these questions, are we? Like, we, we just lift our Bibles and say, well, it's there because it's there. No, that's not why any of the books are in the Bible. They're there with a purpose. So what's, what's Luke's purpose? Well, he tells us, verse 4, he tells his Gentile friend Theophilus, whom he's written this gospel for, that he's recording his version of the Jesus story, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. What does that mean? Well, here's what probably happened in Theophilus's life, and and we don't really easily get this. Theophilus didn't first hear about Jesus Christ from a book. He didn't uh, hear about Jesus from a, a Bible that somebody had given him. He'll have heard about Jesus in the way that everybody in the earliest years of the church, heard about Jesus only by word of mouth. So the news about Jesus was spread, and you can read about this in the book of Acts. It was spread by people preaching and then sharing the the message, uh, first of all in Jerusalem, Judea, throughout the world. But there's no Bibles, certainly not what we understand as, as a gospel or a New Testament. It wasn't until about 25, 30 years later, the people started writing down gospels after Jesus' death. They started to make a record of what the eyewitnesses have seen. And so Luke says here, I want you, Theophilus, to be sure about all the stuff you've heard. You've heard all this chat about Jesus. You've been told the stories. I've done the research. I've checked it out with the eyewitness accounts. And now I've written my version of events, my orderly account. And why have I done that? Because I want you to be confident about Jesus Christ. I I think that makes Luke's gospel quite interesting for us and quite important. Because I'd hazard to guess that most of us have heard of and about Jesus Christ I'm I'm just double-checking here as a look. Yeah, you look to me like people who have heard of Jesus. If you haven't, by the way, I I recognize most of you. I've seen you here a lot. If you haven't heard of, that's kind of what we're into here, okay? Jesus is what we talk about. He is the message we try to share. I hope, yeah, 
Okay, so we've heard about Jesus. But actually, you can't grow up in Northern Ireland and not have heard about Jesus because you'll have been asked to act out his birth in your wee nativity plays in school. You'll have seen that the country have bank holidays uh, on an Easter Monday to celebrate his death and his resurrection. We have heard about Jesus. But here's the thing. Maybe you've never been part of, as an adult, part of a church that teaches about Jesus seriously. That is possible. That you could be here today and you've never really thought as an adult much about Jesus Christ. You haven't been part of a church that says we're passionate about reading God's word, about hearing what he intends to say to us, and about allowing it to change your lives. If you've never been part of a community like that before, then Luke's gospel will be a great thing to read. Because Luke's going to help us to know with certainty the things that we've only just heard to be sure what we've already heard about Jesus Christ, to grow confident in him. So this is going to be important for for anybody who wants to have a mature faith in Jesus. But I think it's particularly important for any of our, our younger guys with us here today. Here's why. Whenever you grow up, you hear a lot about Jesus in Sunday club and in Bible class. But you need a chance now to mature and to develop the the level of your understanding of who Jesus is. You see, if if you left a, a church Sunday club or even a church youth ministry, you would leave with a not fully mature picture of who Jesus Christ is. You might imagine that the Bible is is a children's book. Even the Gospels, these stories of Jesus Christ, they're told in Sunday Club in a particular way to help an eight-year-old understand them or, or whatever. But this isn't a children's book. This is a book for all people. Um, it's certainly a book for grown-ups. So it's important that nobody sets off into adult life with a childish understanding of who Jesus is. That would never allow you to make sense of his call on you. That would never help you to live for him as a grown-up in the world. So any young person growing up in the church needs this opportunity that, that Luke is offering Theophilus, a chance to know with certainty the things that you have heard, the things you've heard about Jesus Christ, to grow confident in him. Very quickly, for a last couple of moments, the, the, last, uh, the second and much more uh, substantial part of our reading, this first incident where Luke gets his gospel story going, he tells us about how an angel visits a Jewish priest and tells him he's going to have a son. It is a really powerful moment. I don't know if you got that. Why is it a powerful moment? It's a powerful moment on a personal and on a national level. Personal level. The angel comes to a guy who'd been waiting for years and years and years 
and who'd given up hope that he'd ever have a kid. And the angel says, you're going to have a kid. It's a huge moment. On a national level, it's 400 years since God's people have had any sense that he's talking to them, that he's had anything to say to them. Just as much as Zechariah and Elizabeth have struggled and probably given up hope of ever having their child, so Israel has, for the most part, given up hope that God's ever going to show up and do anything again. To Zechariah, the angel breaks in. To Israel, the angel breaks in. As I've said, this is a deep and a powerful moment. The hopes and fears of all the years are hanging here. And then this angel comes and says there's going to be a child. Have a look there and see what the angel says to Zechariah about this boy. Verse 15, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. I'd love to be able to read Zechariah's thoughts at this point. I'm imagining him saying something like this to himself. Wow, a son. That's amazing. The Spirit of God on him from birth, that's incredible. That sounds a lot like the old days. Whenever God sent the Spirit on Israel's leaders and on our prophets, when God actually spoke to his people, when he acted to save them, I can't believe that's going to happen now. Here. In my family. Right in the heart of my family. Folks, it's a great, great moment. A holy moment. There's a scene I love in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Mr. Beaver has just met the Pevensey kids for the first time. He's telling them a little bit about this strange country of Narnia they found themselves in. And he's telling them what's happening just at the moment. They say Aslan is on the move. Beaver tells the kids, perhaps has already landed. And Lewis goes on to describe the effect that this news has on the kids. Now, a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. Zechariah, this kid is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is on the move. He's coming back among his people again. I wonder, are you aware of that? 
or even of the possibility of that. This first Sunday of Advent, this opening verses of Luke's gospel, do you sense that God is or could be on the move? Is there a hunger in you that he's starting to prompt and to stir? Maybe he's been silent. Not 400 years, but seems, seems like it. You sense that he's stirring. He's speaking to you in his word. He's inviting you to come and to meet with his son, Jesus. Folks, he's the one who brings the outsiders. He says, come on. Come on in. He's the one who saves us in all the ways that we need to be saved. He's the savior of the world. You ready to meet him? Let's pray. Jesus, as we start our Advent season together, we praise you and we thank you that at the heart of it, there's something much, much more than Black Friday. The message of Christmas is not life is great, we can buy more stuff and ram ourselves deeper into debt. The message is that you have come. And you've come to take broken people and to make them whole, to take lost people and to save them. And Lord, we thank you today that we've seen that nobody's off limits for this. You have come for me. You've come for us, every last one of us. Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray you'd do something in us. Wake us up, stir us, let us see what an amazing thing it is you're doing among us. Lord, let us grow a hunger and an appetite and chase after you. Thank you that you've come. Help us to be found ready and waiting. Amen.